This is Digital Pathology Today. Now here's your host, Dr. Joseph Anderson. Welcome to this very special first edition of Digital Pathology Today. I'm Joe Anderson. Our guest is Dr. Laron Pantanowitz, who is currently the Director of Anatomic Pathology at the University of Michigan, and who has previously held faculty positions at Tufts Space State Medical Center, as well as the University of Pittsburgh. Dr. Pantanowitz is an international leader in pathology informatics, as well as digital pathology. He is the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Pathology Informatics and is widely published in the fields of informatics and digital pathology. We'll be discussing where digital pathology has been over the course of the past 20 years, seminal developments and advances in whole slide imaging and image analysis, and we'll discuss what's taking so long for the full-scale adoption of digital pathology in the clinical setting. In addition, we'll talk about parallels and differences between the specialties of pathology and radiology in terms of digitizing images in clinical practice and the benefits of switching to a fully digitized system and practical considerations for going digital. We'll also touch on regulatory concerns and the current state of AI applications. And finally, we'll get Dr. Pantanowitz's thoughts about what excites him and how he sees the field evolving over the next 10 years and beyond. This episode of Digital Pathology Today has been brought to you by JAV Advisors. With over 16 years experience, JAV Advisors focuses on business and management consulting for digital pathology and artificial intelligence in deployment within histology, pathology, and cytology laboratories throughout the world. Call 213-258-6268 for more information. JAV Advisors. Dr. Leron Pantanowitz, thank you so much for coming on on this uh, first episode of Digital Pathology Today. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm excited, and we're going to be talking about uh, one of the topics that is my favorite topic to talk about, digital pathology. Oh, excellent. Our main purpose here today is, is kind of to just go over where we've been for the past 20 years. And the overarching question on many people's minds seems to be, What's taking so long? Why has not the profession of pathology gone fully digital yet? After all, the technology known as whole slide imaging has been with us for since the early 2000s. And let's just start there. Is it fair to say that the foundational piece of technology or innovation in the field of digital pathology is whole slide imaging? And it seems pretty obvious what that means, right? You're you're scanning a slide. But are there standards for that? Is there a definition for that? Could you tell us maybe more specifically, is there a universally agreed upon definition of whole slide imaging? And when did we achieve that capability? Most people, when they think of digital pathology, sort of synonymously think of whole slide imaging. And it's true, really. Uh, with the advent of whole slide imaging, that's really where digital pathology you know, took traction. Prior to 2000, several people were working on the problem of trying to digitize an entire slide, and uh, that was achieved by you know several groups, uh, one of which was Joel Saltz, and they accomplished that, and it was mostly for research purposes, uh, almost using similar technology to uh, satellite tracking technology. Once that was accomplished, several commercial companies then, uh, you know, mastered this task, and they created in 2000 commercial whole slide scanners. That, as you mentioned, scans and digitizes an entire slide, which is really what people wanted to achieve. Pathologists wanted the entire slide scanned to save that, archive that, share that, and analyze that. So once it became available, people started to use it initially for educational purposes, then for research purposes, and more recently for diagnostic purposes. You know, the whole slide image 
as its name says, is uh, just an image of the entire slide, and it's uh, really a lot of pixels that are made up of patches, and those patches are stacked together in the form of a pyramid. On the very top of the pyramid is your small thumbnail, and as you zoom in, uh, you go down further into the pyramid to the base to look at those images. They are large files. The advantage is, uh, you know, they have good resolution and a lot of color. You know, since then, people have validated and used it for many different things. It took a while for this to become approved. Europe and Canada were ahead of the game where it came to diagnostic use cases, but I think the USA are catching up now. So to answer your question, yes, whole slide imaging today is what most people think about when they use the word digital pathology. I see. Now, I do seem to remember now being a, a resident trainee in pathology around that time period, around the early 2000s, not to date myself, but we were... You know, in presenting cases at a tumor board, for example, we were just taking a picture of the static image. And I recall there were even commercial applications, or I should say clinical applications, where we incorporated image analysis to some degree, specifically, I remember in a breast panel for ERPR, HER2, Key67, and even developed CPT codes to bill for it. I recall uh, one company called Chromavision, I think was one of the forerunners in this area. So were we actually able to use other kinds of applications clinically before we achieved whole slide imaging or the ability to do so? Yeah, that's correct. So digital pathology has been around for a very long time. And it's not surprising because pathologists, what we like to do is uh, document what we see. And digital pathology was used for many years, decades ago, to document autopsy findings. And then, you know, to document gross pathology findings. And so basically we converted that operation to digital cameras. Today, you know, highly sophisticated labs have a digital camera above every gross workstation. Then eventually pathologists put cameras on top of their microscopes. And uh, once those were mounted, that allowed us to take snapshots or, you know, even a little later stream those images. And it's, you're right. And so at, at that point in time, before we were even able to scan an entire slide, we were able to take snapshots of patches and areas of interest on a particular slide and then for with that field of view we were able to do a simple image analysis based on machine learning the first and most popular ones were quantitative image analysis for the breast biomarkers they're still the most commonly used image analysis algorithms in pathology practice today and you are correct and probably part of that adoption process is that there's reimbursement the cpt code tied to that Today, that's now all shifted to whole slide imaging. The technology is way better, but it's also added complications because whole slide imaging, it becomes more difficult to perform image analysis on a whole slide image given the size of the file. Oh, I see. Let's talk about, in the spirit of why is this taking so long, there's often parallels, often glib parallels between the professions of pathology and radiology. Well, after all, you guys, you're both just looking at images. So why does radiology appear to be further ahead in the game? Radiology has been digitized for some time. So what don't people understand about this? I'll just tell you, in my mind, it seems to me that radiology may have the advantage because, as I understand it, the true image from say a CT or an MRI is already a digitized image and any attempts to reproduce the image either on paper or film is going to lead to a loss of fidelity or a bastardization, so to speak, of the image. Whereas in pathology, maybe we have the opposite problem where the true image is a function 
of the wavelength of light viewed through the objectives of a light microscope. And then so the digitized image actually results in a loss of fidelity. Is, is that accurate? And, and what other, just what don't we understand about any comparisons between the two specialties? You are correct in that the similarities are radiology and pathology both are diagnostic fields in medicine. And we're now approaching the point where, like radiology, we use images to make those diagnoses. But there are fundamental differences, which is why I believe radiology are way ahead of us, probably a decade ahead of us in imaging and also ahead of us in AI today. The difference is, number one, radiology went digital and their transformation was really to get rid of the film. The film which was expensive, difficult to archive, paying lots of people to pull the film. And by going digital, they entirely got rid of the radiology film. So that was a great business use case for them. Not only did moving to an image provide benefits such as portability, allowing multiple radiologists to view that image and so forth, they also it made a lot of business sense to get rid of the film, which was expensive, toxic, large file rooms, etc. The other thing is radiology came up with a standard for their images, which was DICOM. So most of the vendors that provide radiology products, whether it's a PEX or a CT scan or an ultrasound machine, all of them comply to the same standard and they make images in DICOM format. That means it's very easy for you to mix and match and buy stuff or save images or even go back and look at a CT scan from many years ago and open it up and you'll be able to do that because it's in the format that you know standardized back then and is still used today. And the other thing is their process does not kill workflow. It actually promotes the workflow in radiology, which is a continuous process. As a patient comes in and gets an image, that image doesn't get held and batched. It gets sent straight away to a radiologist who looks at that image and provides an interpretation. Compare that to pathology where, number one, we do not get rid of the slide. Scanning the slide just adds an extra step and we still have the slide. So if we could get rid of making the slide, that would be a business advantage. But we're actually adding a step and adding a cost to our whole process. That's number one. Number two is, uh, you know, the images we generate in pathology are digital slides. And some people like to call them maybe virtual microscopy slides or e-slides. They pretty much remain in the silo within pathology. We're the only people that use these images and look at them. We don't share them with the enterprise and everyone else. And that's a problem because the business case is that, well, if pathology is going to use it, we buy it ourselves and we have to fund it. Whereas radiology images are shared with everyone in the enterprise. If a patient has a chest x-ray, the internist can see it, the ER doc, the surgeon. And so the, the enterprise lands up purchasing that system, not just the department themselves. So again, the return on investment for radiology is much easier than it is for us in pathology. The next problem in pathology is we never started with a standard, like a DICOM standard. In pathology, all the vendors develop their own images, all different proprietary file formats, and they built their own viewers software to be able to look at those images. And that's been a huge problem in the field going forward because if you have one type of scanner and you want to send this case to an expert to get a second opinion for teleconsultation, if they don't have a viewer that matches your image, well, then you're not able to do that. And so we are slowly now through working group 26, moving towards a standard in pathology imaging, uh, which is the DICOM image, uh, but you know we're doing it backwards and that's been part of the delay. 
The other thing we suffer from is in pathology we do stuff by batch work. And that's really a, a killer where it comes to workflow. You know, we don't, as a case comes in and the slide gets scanned, that slide doesn't automatically go to a pathologist at this point in time. We hold all the slides, uh, we cut all the slides, we stain them, we cover slip them, and then we batch them on a scanner and then we scan them, you know, all at once or overnight. And so with that batch process, you know, it's disruptive to our workflow. We're not, it's not that efficient. And then, Joe, the final reason really where we differ from radiology is uh, in a regulatory environment. We have what's called CLEAR, the Clinical Lab Improvements Act. CLEAR is restrictive for pathologists in that if we're going to make a diagnosis on an image, we, we have to be within a CLEAR certified facility to do that, like in the lab or in the hospital, whereas radiologists don't abide by these CLEAR regulations, and so they're much more portable. They could look at a radiology image in you know many different locations. So for those reasons, I think we're very different, and that's part of the struggle we have, and it's part of the reason we're behind, and it's part of the reason that it's a much harder sell to a pathology C-suite or even at the enterprise level to adopt one of these systems. But I view it as a positive outlook in that at least we, we've seen how radiology have done it. We've learned from you know, their positives and negatives. And we, you know, we can move towards some of those, which we're doing, which is uh, you know, coming up with a standard for our image, for example. Yes, excellent. You touched on a, a whole lot of things there, and I'd like to kind of unpack each of those as we go here. Uh, I guess the first thing is, you know, it seems so, uh, the secondary benefits, I like to call them, you know, so like the ability to not constantly be shipping and storing glass slides from office to office and sending them by FedEx across the country, and just the opportunities to collaborate with colleagues to get, you know, second opinion for diagnosis or even to do things remotely, starting off with frozen section diagnosis, perhaps. I think that seemed very exciting in the early to mid 2000s, but it just didn't seem to move the needle enough to get people excited to have a full scale adoption. Why do you think that is? Like those benefits just were not attractive enough to, to justify the cost, or the benefits simply weren't there? keeping in mind you have maybe an older pathologist workforce who is kind of entrenched in doing things the old-fashioned way by looking at glass slides in the microscope? For me, there are four big big barriers to why we have this limitation and we're not all using it today. The, the barriers, in my experience, are the following. One, there is a technology limitation. You cannot scan every slide all the time. There are some times where the slide cannot be scanned. For example, if you need to polarize a slide and look for you know, foreign material that's revealed by polarization, that's not currently possible now. Or cytology, for example, can be limiting. Uh, that's ideally done with addressing the focusing problems, and that is available through some scanners with Z-stacking, but it takes long and generates large files. So technology is one limiting factor. The other factor is there is a workflow issue. Besides getting used to it and overcoming the learning curve, uh, it's true that sometimes you know, the scan times take longer than one would like. And so with this batch process, it could actually add time initially up front. It may add time up front and you may gain some efficiencies later. But the other thing is you need a barcode system in place because you cannot manually enter every you know, slide detail into a system. So these have to read barcodes and unfortunately barcodes are not perfect and neither are the scanners so you do have some failed barcodes and some of these images land up in cyberspace and so you know it kills the workflow 
And as pathologists who have used this before know that ergonomically it's not that easy to use a mouse. If you have a small biopsy like a GI polyp and it fits on your screen and you have to navigate very little, then that's great. Uh, but when you have a lot of real estate to cover, like an 80-slide breast mastectomy and you have to, you know, move around and move from slide to slide, well, you know, ergonomically that's difficult with the mouse. So pathologists are aware of, you know, that, those workflow hindrances. In terms of quality, I don't see quality being that much of an issue. Uh, most pathologists will tell you that they can diagnose and most entities uh, using a digital image. In fact, some pathologists tell me that the digital image is sometimes better than the microscope because they can at least get to a 1x or 2x very quickly, which is where they make some of their diagnoses, and they don't have to zoom in at 40x and above. But there are entities which, for example, if you're a renal pathologist and you need to look at the basement membrane and or you need to look at deposits and crescents, etc. You know, at, at the higher resolution, then the technology and the quality can be limiting there. The other barrier I mentioned is there's a financial barrier. There is a cost to purchasing the equipment and putting it in. There are regulatory issues to overcome, but all of these are doable. And I think uh, the final barrier that we face in pathology is a lack of interoperability. And by that, I mean that these systems are not plug and play. You cannot buy a digital pathology system, bring it back into your lab and hook it up to your lab information system. This requires a lot of negotiation between the vendors, having the lab information system, that LIS vendor to participate, create a, an interface and, and get that to work. And, you know, that takes a long time and it's frustrating. You know, some people also complain that part of the cost and the difficulty for them is uh, data storage because these files are large. Uh, it can, they can range anywhere from half a gigabyte to 20 gigabytes, depending on, you know, how much tissue and, and, and the resolution you want to scan it in at. And if you want to store all of those, well, then it becomes pretty expensive. And that's also been a barrier for some people to adopting digital pathology is that cost. And the way people have gotten around that is either they purge the images after six weeks. Uh, six weeks is the number that a lot of people use because they feel that tumor boards have happened by then. Patients been put on a treatment and management pathway and the chances that you need to look at the image again are, are very low. And so after six weeks, you could purge it or you could save it to what's called cold storage, burn it to a tape, and then it doesn't have to be available on hot storage, which is very expensive. I see. Now, that is a consideration. There's certainly regulatory considerations regarding how long images and slides need to be stored. And so where are we in terms of the technological limitations, which seems to be one of the key barriers? Because I think, you know, just the act of scanning the slide, I remember you know, over the past five to 10 years, we've come a long way there. It used to be, you know, you'd have to have these things scanning overnight or several, several hours, uh, and then scanning at each of the various magnifications, 4X, 10X, 40X. And then there's the issue of once they're scanned into the system, then once the pathologist is viewing it, it takes time to actually load these images, which can be, which was a source of vast frustration. It was just slow. And then, as you mentioned, storage. These images are very, very large. And with Moore's Law, of course, where storage capability is increasing exponentially and the cost hopefully is going to zero. But practically, in the year 2020, where are we on these things? Are these things still a barrier to implementation? Some of them are. But I think we've also you know, had a lot of improvement. Storage, the cost of storage has come way down. The scanning technology has improved a lot. They're really fast now. Some of them can, you know, scan a, a piece of tissue the size of a biopsy, 
at 15 by 15 millimeters within a minute, which is great. Some of them do have focusing capabilities. Some of them now have tissue detection algorithms. They can you know, detect the tissue and they don't waste time scanning all the white space in between. Of course, that's also a concern if they miss a small fragment on that slide. So the technology is, you know, uh, come a long way to speed up the scanning, improve the resolution with better cameras, and also improve, you know, the software to process these images. In addition, networks have improved and the way pathologists work from workstations, many of these are virtual workstations, and so that's improved the process. Now, I just wanted to clarify one thing about, because a lot of people feel that, well, these files are so big, if we're talking about a 20 gigabyte file, no wonder it takes forever for me to, you know, view it on my computer in my office and, you know, all I see is pixels. Really, the way I usually explain it to people is with the following analogy. If you want to search uh, for a Harry Potter book and you'd like to buy that Harry Potter book and you go on to Amazon.com, you don't download the entire Amazon catalog onto your desktop and wait for the entire catalog to download and then you start searching it, right? What you're doing is you're going onto Amazon's server and then you start to put in the, the things that you want to find, Harry Potter books, and so it'll search and take you to the, you know, the part on the server where there are Harry Potter books, and then you say, okay, well, which one do you actually want to see? And so you provide that information, and then it will give you that information. And then finally, when you get the book you want, and you'd like to see the first page or read a, or the first chapter as an example, then that will download onto your desktop. And so it's very quick, and nothing's really crossed over you know, the internet and slowed down your transmission of the image for you to view it. And so the same thing is happening now with whole site imaging. When a scanner digitizes a slide, there is an initial delay in that image being saved to your server. And so that's usually where a lab would have to have the best pipeline and the best bandwidth, which your IT department will facilitate, so that your images from the scanner get saved to the server where you want them, and there's not too much delay. But that really doesn't affect the pathologist in any way. And when the pathologist is now ready to view that image from their desktop, whether it's virtual or it's a thick workstation, you're now asked to view that image. Again, you're not downloading that whole image. The image doesn't have to move across your whole your, your institution's network and then download onto your desktop. What you're asking is to just deliver some pixels. So at the beginning, when you look at the image, you see the thumbnail. It will just give you the first image patch from the top of the pyramid, which is the, um, you know, the top of the image, and that's when you see your thumbnail image. And now, as you're interested and you start to zoom in, it will start to deliver more and more of those patches of pixels. And eventually, when you zoom in all the way, say, to 40x, then those pixels are the ones that are delivered on your screen. And as you start to move your mouse and you navigate left or right, the software now realizes that you're moving left, and so it automatically starts to deliver and fill in those pixels for you but you're not downloading all 20 gigabytes over your network and onto your desktop. And so that's, with that technology today, it's, you know, it's improved uh, the viewing experience for pathologists way more than when, when you were training back in the day where it was frustrating uh, you know, with really slow networks. This episode of Digital Pathology Today has also been brought to you by DJT Solutions, your single source for all your digital pathology requirements, from consultation services to system requirements, including installation, training, and life cycle support. Since 1995, DJT Solutions, we are your best choice for your best results. 
Now, let's talk about the regulatory landscape. What are the practical considerations, or is there a general consensus around these issues? I know there's currently two scanners approved for F- by the FDA in this country for preliminary diagnosis, and maybe some, you know, back in my day when we did training, the, you know, the old attendings would glibly say something like, well, here's how a diagnosis is made. It's made by looking at a glass slide under a microscope by a pair of eyeballs hooked up to a brain that works. And and then you sign your name on the line, which is dotted. Now, what exactly needs to be regulated as the field goes digital? After all, is it is it not still the pathologist making a judgment and then committing professional liability by signing his name, his or her name on the line? So what function does uh, regulation serve? Is it a hindrance or are there things we're overlooking and that it actually is going to help quality and interoperability? I'm going to break your question down into two answers. The first answer is you said what's practical and then the second is the regulatory environment in which we can use this. So the first thing is if you're if you're a pathology lab and you're going digital, you need to pick your system. Some people like a formal RFP process and some people don't. I recommend a formal RFP process. Then you have to deploy that in your institution and the important thing is to integrate it with everything else. You have to validate it, and that's the CAP are very big on uh, you know validating systems. CAP being College of American Pathologists, you need to validate that for your intended use, and that's now part of the CAP checklist. So you will need to comply with that regulation. Once your system's in place, you need to train your pathologist to use it. You do need to make sure you can maintain it. That means you do need some IT support for that. And I would recommend some sort of QA program that you put in place to monitor your slide quality errors, issues, etc. That being said, to address the main part of your question, which is uh, what about regulatory concerns? And so even though we have two FDA cleared scanners now, uh, you know, is this a hindrance? And my answer is yes and no. And I'd like to explain that to you. The FDA are clearing systems, not for me and you as pathologists. They're clearing those systems for the manufacturer to be able to market them for clinical use. So if one of the companies that makes a scanner or a digital pathology system wants to give it to you and tell you you can use it to make a diagnosis, then it has to be FDA cleared for that purpose. But if I want to use a digital pathology system and a scanner to make a diagnosis, I do not have to pick an FDA cleared system as long as I self-validate that. And a lot of people get confused, well, then is this an LDT, a lab-developed test? And in a way it is because, yes, you're picking a system and you're going to self-validate that. But a digital pathology system by itself is not a test. It's a tool to do a test maybe, but it is analogous to an LDT. Now, a further confusion comes in, which is, well, what exactly are we talking about when you talk about a digital pathology system from a regulatory point of view? From a regulatory point of view, a digital pathology system is comprised of at least two, maybe three components. The first component is the scanner, something to digitize and acquire the image. The second component is the viewer, the software to be able to view the digital image. And some of the digital pathology systems may include an image or a case management software where the images are saved in folders, archived and you can retrieve them and they're they're linked in some way to a patient. So all of that is an FDA cleared system. 
when you go and purchase an FDA cleared system, oh, I forgot one component, sorry. The other component is the viewing software has to go along with a monitor, a computer monitor, and that display has to have certain specifications. Now, some vendors may uh, require a very specific monitor, or others may give you just the specifications of a monitor, and you can pick any of your own monitors as long as they match that specification. So if you purchased an FDA-cleared system, that means when you bring it into your lab, you have to use that scanner, you may have to use that image management software, you would have to use the viewer to view those images, and you'd have to use the monitor that's recommended as part of that system. If you choose not to use one of those components, you're then using your system off-label use. And that would not really comply with the FDA requirements. But once again, if you self-validated that, like you do with an LDT, then you could mix and match. And this has been a bit of a quagmire and confusing for people because they may want to use different software, they may have different monitors, what if you have three different scanners? You don't want to use three different viewers. You would just like all of those to you know, be viewed on the same viewer so pathologists don't get confused each time when they're looking for a little button or an annotation tool to measure something. It shouldn't be different each time. You know, the FDA, and I commend the FDA, uh, number one, it took them initially a w some time to understand the technology and figure out how the trial should occur. But once that happened and they even downgraded this with a de novo pathway and, and simplified it. They've been fantastic in you know, supporting this technology, wanting it to get out there. They've allowed other vendors now to provide separate components and just have those FDA cleared. And so we have some of those now in the market. So you can buy a digital pathology system and switch out the software because you know, you're more comfortable using this particular software or this particular viewer. And so that's kind of happening in the field at the moment. Yeah, so it is complicated, but I think it's moving in the right direction. And, you know, maybe not as fast as we would like, but um, I think it's in the right direction. And if you compare us to countries like Europe, for example, Europe, where they have CE mark approval for their systems, initially it was very easy and so much easier than it was in the USA. But believe it or not, they've made a switch and they're now moving the way that these sort of in vitro diagnostic systems and tests get done towards the FDA model. So... Uh, they're kind of freaking out that it's going to be, you know, slow them down. I see. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is, this is, you're right. They, this is very complicated, but I think this is also very encouraging. So th I think, thank you for explaining it that way. I think there's a lot of distinctions, which may be beyond the scope of this particular podcast, uh, specifically the difference between FDA clearance and FDA approval. But I, I think it's interesting, kind of the analogies there between, you know, a laboratory developed test and a, you know, for lack of a better word, a laboratory compiled digital pathology system. So I think it certainly is encouraging. And do you think it's fair to say that most labs, I mean, just from a practical standpoint, are going to be mixing and matching components because the likelihood that they're going to use it completely as intended off the shelf is low. So is it fair to say most labs are probably going to adopt an LDT approach? Yeah, I think they are. And many of them are doing that now. So I think that, and that is the right approach. I'd like to add one thing, Joe, which is you spoke about the pathologist. The pathologist being added to the system is part of the confusing thing here. Really, these digital pathology systems, when I mentioned the different components, uh, the scanner, the software, and the monitor, I didn't add a pathologist as part of the system, really, because we were not part of the system. But when it comes to running a clinical trial for FDA clearance, 
a pathologist is the one that's looking at the image to make the assessment. And that's where things really become difficult, complicated, expensive, and take a long time. If we had an objective way of measuring that the system could do what it was intended to do, in other words, scan a slide, it produces an image, and when it's displayed on a viewer, we have some tool that sort of just measures, yes, the color is correct. Yes, all the pixels are there that should have been there. We don't have those kind of assessment tools in place now. So we're making it very subjective, which we're asking the pathologist to make that interpretation. Is this image good enough? Can you make a diagnosis? And that is the complicating factor with these clinical trials at the moment. Because, you know, to tell you the truth, uh, there's... Even if you ask the same pathologist to look at the same case, uh, you know, today and then, you know, a few days later, or you ask a pathologist, to, you know, to show an atypical case and to another pathologist, they may not agree. So we have a lot of intra and inter-observer variability naturally built into our practice. And to add that into a clinical trial, it really makes it complicated, which is part of the frustration and why these systems are not just going through the FDA, you know, uh, you know, uh, that quickly or as quickly as we would like. Yes, yes. I think you, you hit two key points there. I think first is, I think you captured it nicely that that's where many, in terms of uh, regulatory aspects, many pathologists take umbrage or bristle. And I think you made a nice point there that a pathologist is using the system rather than being part of the system which I think is an important point. And then secondly, there's always going to be a degree of subjectivity, which I think is healthy and which in many ways allows us to move the field forward, but there's certainly a downside. And maybe to people outside of the profession, it seems like a very strong inherent weakness in the in the practice of pathology and that, you know, these outsiders, so to speak, from IT fields and artificial intelligence, uh, you know, need to come in and and set us straight and rid this, rid us of this subjectivity. So before we wrap up, I think that's kind of a nice segue because the one thing we did not touch on so far is, you know, what's to come. And I think the thing that everyone's excited about is artificial intelligence and machine learning and how these technologies are going to help move things forward and perhaps even move the needle to make it completely obvious that we need to go to a full-scale uh, adoption of digital pathology. As I mentioned, the the benefits to date or for the past 20 years just haven't been enough uh, to move the needle. But do you think with the addition of AI applications that we're going to see considerable benefits? I think there's two obvious applications that I see. One is you know, AI systems assisting in triaging cases, both by case type, tissue type, subspecialist, but then actually doing preliminary work and looking at a case, so to speak, and then triaging it to the right pathologist, I think is one application. And then secondly, the ability to add predictive and prognostic information using image analysis would be the other. So how much of a gain do you think we're going to get from, from this component? And you know, what, what do you think that's going to look like in the future? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, so I think the era of artificial intelligence is here. I mean, it's happening everywhere else outside of pathology, but it's already here in pathology. And uh, you can see that there are many AI startup companies that are dedicating their entire business to building apps for pathology. There's more than 10 already that are building apps for pathology. The exciting thing is there are even commercial algorithms available that you can install in your lab today. I know of two of them that you can buy and install, and I know of labs that are already running these algorithms every day. There's a lab in Sicily that's run by Dr. Filippo Frigetta, and he's running uh, you know, more than one AI algorithm every day. 
is a fully digital lab. So it's very exciting. And these could be run in different ways. There could be a, a first read. You can have the AI run before the pathologist looks at the case. Or a second read. You can have the AI app check the pathologist later. Uh, you know, so either of those uh, you know, options work. And you know, there's rumor that there are already FDA trials in the U.S., for AI algorithms. Now, you had mentioned that there are some obvious applications that you had spoken about. Uh, you know, many of these companies, what they're all looking for is the killer app. And the killer application is one that every pathologist says they absolutely need, or every patient says, I need my case analyzed using this AI algorithm. So I don't think there is one killer app, to be honest. But if we are going to have AI running on top of our digital pathology platforms, there are so many algorithms that have to be built, way more than a thousand, really. So there's lots of space for all these AI vendors to do this, and there's room for even more AI startups. If you can just imagine how many different tissues we see, let's just take breast being one of those. You know, breast could be uh, stained with, you know, an H&E. It could also have various immunohistochemical stains. It could even be frozen tissue. There are many different diseases that affect the breast, benign ones, neoplastic ones. There's carcinoma, lymphoma, and so on. And there's algorithms you could build for all of those, you know, so many different tissue types, many different stains, which quickly adds up. Now, you would mentioned what should AI do. AI could do many things, and I'm hoping that they would do all of these things. The first thing is AI could do what your pathology trainee does, your resident or your fellow if you're in an academic medical center, which is to screen the case, prepare it for you, triage it. And when you're ready to look at it, we'll tell you, Joe, this is the, the first case I'd like you to look at because it's a critical result. Or Joe, this is a cancer that is going to need additional stains. This is a prostate core biopsy with an ASAP that requires a PIN4 stain. And you know, in order to not waste time, let's look at that first. So that's exactly what your resident and fellow does at an academic institution. AI could do that for you. The next thing AI could do is replicate what you do, which is look at a case, find the diagnostic areas, make a diagnosis and grade it, you know, or, you know, determine if there's perineural invasion or whatever we do to generate a diagnosis. So AI could do the same if we train it. A lot of people feel threatened by that. Uh, pathologists feel threatened by that. The next thing what AI could do is something that we cannot do. I don't think you and I could do this very well, even through a microscope or if we looked at the pixels on our computer screens, which is just looking at the H&E image or the pixels that, we're being, that are being displayed. Uh, we cannot make predictions. For example, if I see a, a prostate adenocarcinoma with a Gleason score of 4 plus 3, is this a good actor or a bad actor? In five years' time, you know, is this patient going to respond and or they're going to you know do terribly and metastasize and and we can train ai not to do what we do but to actually predict the outcomes of patients you know and so when you feed that data into a deep learning algorithm you're going to ask the algorithm to give you back a, a predictive score or the prognosis on this patient and so there are people working on those already i'm hoping that they will be commercially available soon what excites me, though, is that AI can probably do more than that if we allow it to and we choose to do it. One of the burdens we have in, in labs now is we do a lot of SCUT work for QA and compliance purposes. We have to do cytology, histology correlation. We have to compare frozen versus final, uh, you know, and keep track of all of that. One of the things people would love to do, but it's very difficult, is pathology radiology correlations, for example. People that have mammogram programs, uh, you know, would love to 
easily correlate the mammogram findings with, uh, you know, the pathology findings. Or people that are doing MRIs on prostates now would love to correlate that with, you know, uh, what they found in pathology. And AI could easily do those kind of path red or, you know, cytology, histology correlations for us running in the background so we don't have to do it. The most exciting thing is, for me, is AI being used for discovery. Uh, you know, the reason I actually did pathology was because I loved what I saw down the microscope and, and there weren't answers for some of the stuff. And, you know, it, you know I was always questioning and uh, using the microscope to answer questions and discover things about diseases, which is pathology. For me, the AI tool is just a new microscope. Uh, yes, it's a, a virtual microscope, but with the new AI tool, I can now discover things about diseases that could not be done before. Uh, and we're seeing this is really happening today with the tumor microenvironment, looking at spatial relationships between inflammatory cells and tumor cells and, and giving us predictive scores of or who should receive a particular targeted therapy, or which patients are likely to have an underlying mutation and they will respond to some drugs. And, you know, so all of this kind of discovery, I think, is super exciting. And, you know, pathologists see this happening now. And, and the beauty for me is that the AI is driving digital pathology because you cannot really do AI unless you're on a digital pathology platform. And so pathologists realize that if they really want to practice in this current era of personalized medicine, you're going to have to get yourself onto a digital pathology platform at some point so that you can you know, leverage and capitalize on using these AI algorithms. Absolutely. This is incredibly exciting. The field is moving so fast. Dr. Laurent Pantanowitz, thank you so much for coming on this first episode of Digital Pathology today. So just before you leave, could you tell us where do you see the field going in the next 10 years? And maybe surprise us, what do you think is going to happen even in just the next year that we might not be expecting or ready for? I think uh, the rate of digital pathology adoption is going to accelerate. I see that happening around me. I think that people will embrace AI more than they have been now. Not fear it so much, but actually embrace it. The COVID pandemic actually had a silver lining in that uh, many labs around the world were forced to have pathologists work from home because they couldn't get childcare or they were felt they would be at risk coming to busy hospitals or they wanted to be part of their social uh, distancing and working from home. The technology stood up and allowed pathologists to do that. Fortunately, in countries like ours in the USA, CLIA got uh, suspended by the president, so we could work from home. And the best thing for me is that that has now provided real-world data, which organizations such as the Digital Pathology Association, the DPA, are using that real-world data to show and educate others that, uh, look, it can be done, the technology does work, and in fact, perhaps we could even use that to lighten up the scrutiny that the technology undergoes when it comes to FDA regulations. So I think all of that's working well, you know, hopefully will take us from an analog and microscope error, which Virco invented more than 100 years ago, to you know a virtual error where it's AI-driven, where patients will be asking if Dr. Google checked their diagnosis and giving them predictive scores that you know I, I just cannot do today on a, either through a microscope or on a digital image. So I'm excited about the future of digital pathology. Indeed. Dr. Laron Pantanowitz has been our guest. We'll see you next time on Digital Pathology Today. This has been a Digital Pathology Today.